0: Burp, 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 weep, 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 weep. Oh
1: man, it's been a long day, Jason. It's been a hell of a long day. It's been a hell of a long week and we, it's been a little little minute since we've uh, our first episode in the new studio. Um so apologies for the the gap, but we had a couple of, we had well, not a couple, just one technical issue, didn't yeah. we? But we have a new guest. We have a new guest uh if
0: you are watching on on the youtubes you will see there is in fact a third uh record shepherd in the building in the form of this beautiful record shepherd portrait yeah we got a little i
1: got we got our little logo We, we told you we're slowly building out the set of the new studio so one one step at a time and we got ourselves um our Little alpaca dude with the shades and the the, the the music note chain. So we got him up. And, um, yeah, there we go. So, like I we said, we're building it. and yeah. Build it and they will come.
0: Build it and they will come. Um, and so, yeah, we're excited to be bringing you another week's episode of the Record Shepherds. We have some really cool guests lined up uh, soon. So looking forward to announcing that on the webs.
1: Yeah, exactly. And now we've got uh, our little technical issue out in the new studio we're gonna get rolling so there. are um yeah definitely episodes to come and um tune in and we'll keep you posted on those
0: yes how you been man
1: good good yeah really good man i've been all over the place mm. recently um where was i so i went up to the the catskills um which i know you and i have went to last year in the yeah. fall i went up for the the winter this time got some snowboarding in around the same place yeah a little okay. bit further north probably about 25 minutes 30 minutes further north in Wyndham. beautiful little town actually so yeah. for new yorkers if you've not been up there uh beautiful little town great little restaurants and we got actual snow oh. a lot of people who ski-, ski and you know snowboard here on let's say you know the east coast that's the ice coast and you know i can't argue with that to be honest usually it is but we got snow all day Lovely dusting and um yeah, we had a great time. So I was up there for a, a mate of mine his birthday and that's what he wanted oh, to do. So nice. shout out to Barry if you're listening, Barry. Ah, Barry Happy birthday. We had a great time. So yeah um, We um I
0: I call you guys the lads. The, the lads the little Irish trio that you guys got,
1: you got <laughs> going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. So um, Are you a good snowboarder? I'm I'm decent. I can get down the hill pretty pretty handy yeah so um but you know there's i want to progress what i really want to do is get more into the park you know where you're like uh they call it the park was like Uh all the the little obstacles like the boxes and the rails and stuff i want to get i want to get better at that but uh when i went up to wyndham there as i say it was snowing all day visibility was not good it was kind of they had little snow cannons out, which are honestly they're blowing out ice. It feels like it's in your face. But so it wasn't the time to sort of start messing around in the park. I did it when I was out in Big Bear a few years ago, and I that was my first taste of it. and I want to get back into that. So yeah, I can I can I can board and do a bit of skiing.
0: Man, I um I don't know if I've told you this story before, but um I mean I didn't grow up skiing or snowboarding, but um I had this ex, and it didn't work out for other reasons. But I remember she tried to teach me how to ski one time. And I ended up fully crashing into this grown man in front of his son on like a, it wasn't even on like a cool triple diamond, or whatever. It was on like the bunny trail where they bring <laughs> everybody to teach them how the to ski. slope. Yeah, yeah. Well, they kept telling me, like, she was like, pizza, pizza. Like, you know, that's where you pizza, turn your french legs Pizza,
1: french fries. In. Pizza, french fries. What
0: is the french fries? Is that how you keep That's going?
1: like when you're going straight or, you, you know, you're going and you want to slow down, you do the... The p- that's how the turn they teach you, you know, the turn initially before you're doing parallel turns it's like pizza to turn and right. then french fries to go straight and then pizza to turn so I did pizza to stop yeah, you should be doing pizza to stop as well. But I didn't know you had
0: to do pizza and turn to stop. Like you're like sort of digging into the snow as you turn. Because I was doing pizza, but I was still moving.
1: Oh, yeah. I don't know what you were doing. I don't uh, know. Yeah. Was, yeah.
0: Maybe it was like I don't know, Sicilian pizza. Yeah, you pizza. needed Did you? <laughs> it, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't like.
1: <laughs> yeah. It sounded like you needed an anchor behind you. Yeah. Maybe. But yeah. There's,
0: nothing, there's nothing worse than being, not only being terrible at something, but so much so to where you crash. Into a oh yeah it
1: comes with the territory when you're learning oh, yeah. to ski and snowboard and yeah. things like that but uh, yeah I know it's good doing that and then I'll tell you what, where else I was I've uh, been all. I told I've been all over the place mm-hmm. the weekend past, I was at the Houston Rodeo
0: oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that, they, do,
1: they do music concerts there yeah, too right yeah so the Zach Brown band nice. perform on uh, the Sunday night um, so so Walker Hayes on the Saturday—that was sort of like, uh, you know, a little bit of a country back baptism for me. But okay. uh, fully enjoyed Zach Brown band on uh, the Sunday night. Just absolute, you know, what a performer, what an experienced performer. Turned up like looking the part. He was dressed the part. He had the hat and the, yeah, the beard. Can I say
0: everyone that I know that works in country music are like the nicest people on earth? Oh it's, yeah, it's not that um other genres of people in the music industry aren't nice but it mm. feels like every time i've met somebody who works out of nashville they're like the nicest people on earth i don't know what it is
1: absolutely yeah and uh i met uh met up with uh zach's manager and mm. he was uh he is a, a lovely guy as well also based out of nashville and um yeah like so that that rings true in my experience as well and honestly it is true like the even the one I was down there just sort of noticed how the friendly energy. everyone is down there, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that was in Texas, you know, in Houston. But um so yeah, all over. Um but um yeah, glad to be back in the studio and getting back into what we do best which w- is education through conversation. Education through conversation, demystifying the music industry yeah. and um We have
0: a pretty big uh, uh subject today.
1: Yeah, we do have a pretty big subject and you could say that um we're a little bit, you know, overdue in getting to this topic because really a lot of the big action which we'll dive into happened in 2021 and 2022. Having said that, we did get one significant very big uh mm. acquisition at the start of this year in january which we'll get on to talk about but i think it's fair to say that um well what what we'd like to talk about and what we think is a good uh topic to sort of touch on this week is all the catalog acquisitions that we're reading about Cat- in the newspapers catalog acquisitions so yeah like- artists selling their rights right right you have seen a lot
0: of that in, in various genres a lot of legacy acts mostly but you're, you're seeing like interestingly some popular current acts also selling their catalog yeah um, and we we can touch on those but yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a very interesting time and you know we're dealing like coming out of covid and like a, a bunch of other factors that Um, inadvertently affect the music industry might be some of the you know the reasoning that this is happening which we can talk about as well but yeah yeah
1: and i also think that even though i say we're a little bit overdue it's actually a good time to touch upon it because i feel like now we have a solid two years to look back on right you know and actually say what was that all about and what was happening and why was it happening and have we passed the peak etc but um so yeah let's dive into it
0: so yeah. we're we're talking about music catalog acquisition. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's important before we even start discussing what acquiring music catalog is, we should define what music catalog is, right? And then we can sort of get into why people are acquiring it. So Jason, our resident uh, music lawyer aficionado, can you tell us what
1: exactly music catalog is? Yeah, well, I think let's start at the very beginning mm-hmm. and you know if you haven't if you're not familiar with these terms that i'm I'm touching upon we we have touched upon these in our prior episodes so worth going back and uh having a listen to some of the podcasts of some of these concepts you're not familiar with I, I don't intend to repeat myself too much but it's everything mm. tim is the answer it's everything everything <laughs> everywhere all at once exactly that's it so People are selling um, writers and artists who have a songwriting catalogue. They're selling their songwriting, their publishing rights, okay, which is essentially all the rights that they have in the the songs and the royalty streams that come from uh, the the performance of their songs, etc. They're selling their recordings, Mm. right? And a lot of artists through you know various different mechanisms um, have negotiated the r- or they own their own sound recordings they own their own masters right and they're able to sell those masters um, and then others they maybe don't own their masters but they're still collecting royalties from the exploitation of those masters now they're, they're selling those royalty streams mm. okay and and then there's all types of other things like w- you know we can get into like different types of royalty streams that come from uh, those masters slash recordings, i.e. neighboring rights, that's like your sound exchange, your PPL It is in the UK, and, you know, um, all those types of things. And then there's even, like, name and likeness rights up for Mm. sale, because I feel for the last couple of years, 2021, 2022, it was a seller's market, it was a feeding frenzy, you know and it was a great time to be selling and nothing was off the table so any combination of all of those rights and sometimes the whole shebang all in one you know we're selling we're selling everything we're gonna get 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 it while it's hot get good value for this and uh and be done with it and you know cruise cruise the yacht on into the sunset to uh, a lovely little retirement so
0: essentially like defining catalog we're we're looking at various rights and royalty splits associated with the creation of music and a lot of what we're seeing is primarily on the publishing end but as we're going to see some of these catalog acquisitions can include rights to the master recordings and other things as well
1: yeah and the royalty streams if it's not even the you know the actual rights necessarily or the or the copyrights um royalty streams yeah okay so
0: as you've highlighted in terms of acquiring catalog we've seen a lot of it spike in the last couple of years essentially starting in 2020 2021, would you say
1: those yeah probably start yeah yeah 2020 yeah and then it got really big in 2021
0: so what's interesting to me is if you look at like the timeline of what other things in the world happened around that time do you think you know actually let me ask it this way what what do you think has been the motivation in the past few years beh- behind what companies acquiring these catalogs in recent times
1: yeah it is super interesting and honestly you could talk you could talk for the full hour um that's my accent <laughs> <A full> hour hour. <laughs> yeah flower. You, you could talk for the full 60 minutes of this podcast about um you know all the, all the different reasons you know because it was like like all these things usually when it's like a storm it's not just one factor it's like a few things coming together mm-hmm. and then like it really sort of ramps it up but i would say um firstly you know you have to put down the real success of it all. I think, you know, certainly a key driver to uh, hypnosis, mm-hmm. right? Which was uh Merc Mercuriatus's is f- essentially like vehicle fund that he created Okay. for acquiring like uh, initially anyway, it was like the, the rights on the publishing side, the songwriting. Mm-hmm. And I think the trick that that hypnosis were able to do, or not the trick, but just like the, the magic or the sort of like, you know, Eureka moment was convincing Wall Street that really songs are like an, an asset class in themselves when it comes to like investments. Mm-hmm. And at a time, you know, when the world is very uncertain investors are looking to diversify their portfolios you know that's like that's one of the key lessons you learn you know don't put all your eggs in one basket make sure you're you're you know you you've, you've diversified your portfolio to manage against risk and uncertainty essentially mm. and if you think about songs especially um once a song gets to a certain point in its lifespan you know it's not just been released recently it's like a good few years old, a lot of these songs, they become what we call evergreen, where they just continue to earn money. Like some of these songs just d- do not go away. And, you know, we can think about it through, like like ones that spring to mind, I heard like Fleetwood Mac mm. on the radio. Okay, th- those songs have been around for many, many years, like decades now, and you're hearing them every week, every, right. sometimes every day, you yeah. know, like these sorts of things. Um, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones. It doesn't have to be like the top, top high hitters like that, but they're evergreen and essentially they continue to earn what you see over time are fairly predictable income streams. So okay, so right. where I'm going with that is that like it's essentially like a bond. A song is like a bond, right? You could buy you buy the uh, the rights to the the asset itself, i.e. the bond or the song. It continues to earn money uh, every year, yield in a bond or royalties in a song, which you collect, and then once you're actually done with it, and you know you've done your sort of term that you, you know, maybe you want to hold it for five years or whatever, you can sell it on to the next person. Mm. You know, so it's it, it becomes like a very, a relatively stable, predictable asset class, and I think the beauty about what uh, hypnosis were able to do was make make Wall Street realize that this was an asset class that had not been tapped into by the sort of financial institutions and uh you know the institutional investment money and another accelerant then adding sort of you know f- fuel to the fire was that music is sexy yeah right and then you've got like it's like a sexy asset yeah it's a sexy asset and then but in terms of getting column inches i mean like in the papers when these artists are like selling and you know it's uh people want to read about it people want to read that like sting has sold his publishing catalog for 250 million dollars and they go wow you know like and that it's sting or it's like um you know Bruce Springsteen or it's like these are like characters that people Bowie you know people want to read about these things so it attracts a lot of column inches the media and and then like it just seems like it's happening everywhere
0: so do you do you think that we're sort of in a perfect storm when it comes to a catalog being sold when it comes to like where we are in the global economy Mm. we're in a post-covid society and also how music has been uh, newly positioned to Wall Street as being a, a something to sort of invest in in the long term.
1: Yeah, totally. There's all those things, the uncertainty of the pandemic, but also there was just a lot of money. Like, you mm. remember what the stock market did, like after the initial crash of, um, uh, you know, the COVID 2020, like it was only a, like a few m- months later where all of a sudden stocks were taking off, like the, the stock market went through the roof and people had money you know mm. like just like people a lot and people were looking what am i going to do with this money where am i going to invest it and just there was a lot of money sloshing around in 2020 yeah um and as i say people were looking to diversify uh tech the tech bubble hadn't burst yet just everyone was feeling kind of good about things and it was a bit of a perfect storm of of all those factors
0: so we're talking we're talking about a lot of money right and as we've seen with these sort of catalog acquisitions we're seeing big dollar amounts float around and so what i'm wondering is and you you've already touched on it with the term evergreen but like what factors do are these people considering when acquiring a catalog are they looking for you know like longevity you know maybe we can dive into that
1: yeah yeah well the answer is that, yeah, you do. You want to get songs that have proven they have staying power. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm saying songs, but all assets, really, like the recordings as well. But songs is um, like a s- traditionally considered a safer bet because you can't go out and re-record songs or whatever. Right. Um So yeah, you want you want them to have proven staying power. Um, The difference is if you have an artist that released a song and it was a hit like this year, right? It might be a hit this year, and it might even get like you know stick around next year and the third year and the fourth year. But you can't really tell where it's going to be after that. You know, it could completely drop away. Yeah. Some of these like these evergreen catalogs we're talking about, you know, a lot of them have been around for decades, and it's essentially. You can chart, uh, based on based on what the song has delivered in terms of income mm-hmm. over, like, let's say, the past three years. Usually, companies when they when they're valuing a catalog will insist on at least three years, sometimes up to five years, of past earnings, and you know that's part of the due diligence process. The seller will have to hand over that material, and then the buyer takes a look and can do their own sort of massaging or sort of um uh averaging out of the figures. If there's a particular big year, let's say last year was um the thirtieth anniversary of an mm-hmm. album and there's a huge spike from it, you're not gonna be able to repeat that every year. So right. they kind of like they manage it out to get an average. And then based on their own models and industry models, the likes of Goldman Sachs has quite a good um uh sort of forecast model that the industry, a lot of people in the industry use and they have their own, of forecasting out essentially the the trends or the likely trends of music of that particular mm. vintage, that particular genre um, based on what's happening in like sampling culture at the minute. Is that particular genre hot at the Got minute? It. All those sorts of things fly into it. And you can basically plot out your future cash flow so it's like essentially like a discounted, cash flow model for anybody who knows anything about, um, you know, investments and things like that. So you're looking for that. Um, but you know, there's a scale, right? There's a scale of the stuff that's the absolute gold that you want. And then there's the stuff at the other end where it's just not proven and you wouldn't really be paying much at all. And then there's everything in between. And you know, that stuff in between is of interest. You know, you definitely don't want to dismiss that. So it's just a case of making sure you're happy with your valuation for it and that the seller is happy with that valuation and if you ultimately you need a willing buyer, a willing seller, and then you got a deal.
0: Yeah, I mean, what I've noticed in terms of trends in the music industry for the past couple of years, there's been an obsession or an observation of comparing new releases to catalog and mm-hmm. sort of the dangers of having music that's launched by user-generated content and short-form content and what the ramifications of that is long-term. Is their sustainability and the music that we're releasing right now? And are these artists who are participating on the digital end, let's say on TikTok and YouTube, are these techniques sustainable for your catalog for forty, fifty years from now? You know,
1: that's a really good question, isn't it? Like, it's, they're, they're, I think the answers we don't know. Well, the the answers we but, don't know, but like, here's the thing that somebody said. I can't remember who said this, but I do agree with it. Like. The songs that we say we that you know, you, I, whoever is growing up with, let's say in your teenage years, you know, who are like defining significant parts of your life, mm-hmm. like whoever those artists were for us, they meant something to us and right. we'll probably carry those through sometimes the whole way through life. Good point. Like, just because that type of music is being now discovered on TikTok, it doesn't. doesn't it doesn't change the fact that yeah. there's still kids in their bedroom and doing the dances, listening to that song, who then go in and streaming it or whatever, and it means something to them. So I think the discovery method it has changed. Will those songs be around for the same duration as like something like the Beatles or the Stones? Which like, who knows? Who knows? We'll we'll wait and see. But um, it is true that you know, it's in the modern game we're, we're digressing a little bit but the you know it's it's about making hits rather than building artists career well you yeah. know what artists careers for the, like like it used to be you know yeah. like there's career artists like not as many of those today for sure I well
0: I think new music has always been catered to a younger audience and as a marketer I think it would be a really interesting exercise to see at what point do uh, listeners stop searching for new music as vigorously and sort of settle into what they've been listening to for years and years because I do think Mm -hmm. there's a there's a there's a point in which that drops yeah but and you will pick up artists here and there but and you know in general at least anecdotally I've been listening to the same artists for like five to ten years in terms of repetitive listening and I discover new artists all the time but it's not it's rare for me to find Let's say even three to five artists a year that I'm now listening to constantly on rotation. It's usually like pretty much the same things I've been listening yeah, to, yeah, yeah, with a slower adage. That, so
1: yeah, that's that's probably in some ways a little bit of a criticism of the the DSP's discovery. To and maybe we're too reliant, and then we need to yeah, do a yeah, little yeah. bit of homework ourselves. I tell you, a funny little, little uh, mm-hmm. sidebar though. Yeah. Like it's funny what you say that because I heard it. I remember <laughs> hearing a joke about like your dad or like dad's dress how they did the last time they cared about fashion wow <laughs> wow huh your dad basically dresses the same way the the last time he cared about fashion and then after that he just stuck with his his look
0: yeah i mean there's <laughs> definitely parallels to that sentiment in music right it's yeah the last time you you genuinely cared because even and i'm i'm not that old but you can kind of i can kind of see myself falling into the same ideology that like my parents had right where it's like oh I like what I like that yeah. new stuff, you yeah. know. It's and you th- you swear that's yeah. never gonna be you, but then it just happens. Yeah. You know, so
1: I I my dad basically you know gave me my taste in music and like gave me like an education and sort of like the sort of classic, um you know sixties seventies even eighties music and um so I really respect that and I'm thankful for that. But in the same way, I try to introduce him to artists that right. like. He's not having any of it. He's nah, nah. Right. I got I've got him the Beatles something by the Beatles like as a Christmas present, pretty much every year for, you know I can't remember since it was about nine. Right. <laughs> and so is my brother, and so is my sister, and he still laps it up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we digress. But no, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So I think it w- let's um we can go back a bit because I want to maybe talk about um how we get to these these dollar amounts. Right, so as an example, in in doing our research, one of the artists that sold their catalog in twenty twenty two was the estate of David Bowie for two hundred and fifty million dollars. Yeah. So, for as an example, I think he sold it to Warner. It was Warner Chapel Music. Mm -hmm. How does a company like Warner Chapel come to a two hundred and fifty million dollar valuation for the publishing catalog of David Bowie?
1: Well, like uh, like I touched on there, like they're not just plucking this out of thin air, you know, they have to, uh, they'll have the, um, the, uh, well, actually if they're, if they're already administering, which I believe they were administering that music, they've got the data themselves. They know what the royalties have been for the past X many years. So they've, they're very familiar with all of that and they can have their investment people sit down and then, uh, Look, the first thing they do, as I say, they average out. They take any extraordinary events out of it. It's all got to be, like, in their view, repeatable earnings, Mm. you know? So, as I say, if it's been a big, like, you know, a 30th-year anniversary last year and there's a lot of sales um, or, like, a lot of radio play because of that, that's probably Mm. not going to be repeatable for the next few years until there's another event like that. So they have to average all that sort of stuff out. And then... They're using their models based on, um, you know, to to plot the decay, right? there's the, They call it the decay, and these catalogs do decay mm-hmm. over time. You know, they, they, not many of them will be going at a flat line or even increasing, so right. they, they, they sort of drop down a little bit, but it's all very predictable when you get to, like, catalogs of that sort of caliber and that um, vintage. Right. So... And then they're building things in like every company has what's called like a hurdle rate or a return on investment that it needs to um achieve in terms of percentage, because ultimately, although songs and especially something like Bowie is uh predictable, it's not entirely risk free. At okay. some point you're better just sticking your money under, into the bank and getting, you know, interest rates or investing in like uh a tracker like the S and P five hundred tracker, and just getting the regular whatever it is on average, you know, seven percent or something like that. So, they have like hurdle rates that they have to achieve, and their um like return on investments, and it's all sort of all of that is factored into it. And then, as I say, the sort of forecasted decay rate based on that particular uh, genre, that particular vintage, et cetera, et cetera and then they get to a number um that they think will will work and um and then there's a bit of negotiating, you right. know, horse training that goes on and uh, you know, you sometimes have to massage those figures, etc et cetera. So ultimately, you know, there's a there's a dance like in any negotiation and uh if they can get to a price that's gonna work for the seller that they're comfortable with and sort of Sometimes there's like a, you know, like a psychological figure that the seller has in mind that you kind of like have to get to. Yeah. But it's all, that's essentially how they get to the price, you know, it's, it's, so it's all modeling.
0: So that, that process makes sense to me for legacy acts, right, in mm-hmm. which the catalog has been proven over a long period of, of time. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about the acquisition of these catalogs that we've been talking about is it's not only included legacy acts. Like, we have our our David Bowie's, our Neil Diamond's, um, our Sting's. Yeah. But what we've also seen is uh, the likes of Rapper Future selling his publishing catalog for $75 million. And, you know, a, a, even maybe a bigger case study is Justin Bieber selling catalog his catalog f- for over 200 songs for $200 million. Yeah. So same. we have these artists that are super relevant today and super current also making the decision to sell their catalog.
1: Yeah, and this is like a lot of their lawyers, you know, and business managers will probably give you like pretty uh, strong opinions on this, depending Mm. on who you talk to. But there's two different schools of thought, right? Like the real real year, the significant year where prices were at their highest was 2021, like the end of 2021. Mm -hmm. I think the highest one that I have to mind was bruce spring bruce Springsteen right sold his publishing and recorded catalog rights at the end of december it was 2020 end of 2021 in december for upwards of 500 between 500 and 550 million dollars wow Woo! <laughs> so you know like that's you know there's that sort of thing in 2021 and then it died down a little bit the prices weren't quite as high in 2022 so there's a school of thought it's like you know get it while it's hot you know it's it's Mm. a seller's market there's a lot of money coming in the time is now if you want to maximize the value of your life's work and basically sail off into the sunset knowing that you've you know you've got yours basically and you know that's generational wealth right there you know who knows, you know, like you know, what could happen, um, you know, between now and that now in the future. You've got to wait for all that money to come in over time, maybe it falls out of popularity, etc. So there is one school of thought that says just if you've got it and the market is at this highest, get out at the top of the market. Then you've got another school of thought where like, well, no, like, you know, you're betting on um you, you know, you're you're hoping you did get out of the top maybe things pick up even more and now like in five years time, you're even earning you know much higher roads right. for whatever different reason there's all sorts of ways that that could happen um and, and music is finding more and more revenue streams right that's one there's a couple of schools of thought there the other thing for the likes of future and he specifically said this i think and maybe uh, justin Bieber feels this it's like justin Bieber's 28 Right, right. He's not like retirement age. A lot of these artists just back themselves just to go and do it again mm. and say so like, Betting yeah, on I'll take, again. Yeah, like I, I'm a creative guy. I, I created all of that, and I can do it again. And yeah, I'll sell out now while the market's good. And yeah, things might go even higher, or there might be additional revenue streams that I did not get factored into my price. You know, in the future. But it doesn't matter, I'll go out and write, you know, another five albums, you know, and or maybe more, and I'll sell from there. You know, it's, um, I was looking at, I looked at uh, David Bowie, had something like 26, 28 studio albums Wow. in his career. You know, like Justin Bieber is a long shot off that. So, but who knows, you know, so, so like there's also, there's personal circumstances as well. Right. Justin Bieber was suffering or is suffering from Ramsey Hunt syndrome, yeah, he, unfortunately.
0: he had the Ramsey Hunt illness that he was mm. working
1: through. Which meant he was he had to cancel tours, et cetera. His North American tour, I think, right. got canceled. and um, So there
0: is revenue, and, and that's a good point that you brought up, is touring, because with the illness that he was suffering through, there was also COVID, right? So many artists of that caliber were not able to make money on the road. So that could even be a a factor as well in deciding to sell your catalog, not knowing if he could make, you know, I don't know if he can make $200 million in a year on the road, but he certainly is losing money not being able to tour for that time.
1: Yeah, a big chunk of that artist revenue is gone. And I think although touring came back, it didn't come back, I think, as quickly as people were hoping for, you know, in terms of the...
0: And that's an uncertainty, you know
1: yeah yeah all of the you know there's lots of different reasons why you might choose to sell um interestingly, there have been some artists who have not sold one hundred percent of their rights, right. You know they said, all right, we'll you know sell half or seventy five percent. You so know? I think for me, that's the interesting thing with the Justin Bieber case
0: study, right? And even comparing it to some of other legacy acts like David Bowie, Justin Bieber not only sold his publishing copyright he sold his performance rights um his uh recorded royalties percentage of the recorded royalties his neighboring Neighboring rights rights, yeah essentially everything Everything. for for that 200 million dollar price tag yeah whereas i believe future only sold his publishing for 75 million and then you have um these bigger legacy acts selling just their publishing for around the two to 300 million dollar price range yeah so you know i guess the the what a lot of people would ask is okay understanding that there are a lot of factors but if you waited a little bit of time you could have probably sold your entire music catalog for i don't know maybe double that amount in 20 to 30 years but i guess you would say you just don't know
1: you just don't know you just you just don't know there's so many um factors like like the one thing about some not all of it, but some of Justin's music will be, you know, he sold his catalog up until 2022, right? So after, if he starts making more music in 2023, mm. that's not on the deal. So he, again, he can build up another catalog um, and based on just the simple fact that some of those tracks the later albums will not have had the proven staying power mm. as you know some of those um, heritage acts that we talked about the multiple that um the multiple that the that, that um hypnosis will have you know been able to justify there would highly likely be lesser than if maybe Justin Bieber had hung on to that couple for another 10 years, maybe another 15 years, and they would proven, the, you know, like, to, to have that staying power. Mm-hmm. That's going to drive up the multiple, and right. now you are getting more value. But you just don't know. Maybe he was like, you know, uh, well, I suspect it was more a case for Justin of going, like, this this money's on the table now. I've got advisors telling me, you know, um. This is good value here and now. Take what's on the table, right? And we can go again, you know. But, yeah. um, you know, you you, you just got to play the circumstances, and it just de- depends, you know, what, uh, you know, you got to play the hand you're dealt based on where you are at that particular point in time. And uh, I think a lot of it, my hunch is, uh, you know, that that sort of weighed heavily and in, in justin factor and his team's factor to sell
0: right definitely so we've brushed on maybe some of the motivation pieces behind buying and selling catalog catalog catalog, catalog. we've talked about um just uh, some of the, the market conditions um and we talked about some of the big dollar figures maybe we could dive into some of the risk of acquiring these catalogs right so uh, for for hypnosis Can they just go in and buy the music and say, okay, now we can do whatever we want with this music and make as much money as we can from it? Are there limiting factors there?
1: There are limiting factors, and this also gets sort of like factored in. You know, you talk about um, income streams being like active or passive, Mm. right? And what do we mean by that? It's actually easier... Well, let's start with the active, right? Usually... Um, what I touched upon before, if it's like a Bowie case where like Warner Chapel are already administering those songs, they have a history um, that they they can rely upon, etc. But also, you know, even uh, more importantly, like if if they've got the if they acquire you know his rights, etc. And they're administering mm-hmm. those songs and they have the exclusive rights to be able to go out and license those songs. They have teams uh, around the world, you know, their staff, their various offices around the world on a day-to-day basis pushing that catalog and pushing that and you know like the the value of that investment to try to get more money in, to try to get it synced to more movies, more TV shows, potentially more advertising or ad- adverts whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and then they also have a back And team, which most good most publishers have, and certainly the big ones, of like income tracking teams, who'll go out and they'll look at the stats based on you know everything from like radio play to um, number of albums sold in countries and territories, and they'll match up the data of the whatever they've been able to collect or whatever the statements are reported from the various PROs as like performance. rights rights organizations organizations. yes thank you and uh, the mechanical uh, royalties societies etc and they'll be like hang on there's a bit of a disconnect here this isn't right and then they'll go out and chase that money like you know essentially like follow up with it and track it down and find out where the mistakes have been made because they are made right and do all that to like maximize the revenues that they're collecting
0: that's administering that's
1: when you're actively administering uh, administering the those rights and you, they're basically those rights are within your control and you have the exclusive rights to um exploit control and represent them let's say right the other flip side is passive right where you are not the company that has those exclusive rights those rights actually sit with somebody else Mm. but you're buying the artist or the songwriters um rights let's say that 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 is the case for the hypnosis deal right he was signed to universal yeah def jam on the record side so Mm. universal music group on the record side and then different company under the same umbrella but it is a different company universal music publishing group on the publishing side so those rights continue to sit with universal right either the the records or the publishing uh and you know maybe they will revert at some point i don't know justin's deals but uh, they might revert at some point but until that time hypnosis are essentially, uh, and not just diagnosis, That's am just, just using this as this example, we're using the Justin Beaver example but any company in that position, they're passively sitting back and collecting, you know, and they kind of know that like, you know, it's in everyone's interest to maximize the revenues because the Universal in this case are still Taking a percentage, so it's in their interest.
0: Yeah. I think that's important to note, right? Because with, uh, with these headlines, when they say, like for example, Justin Bieber sells his music catalog to Hypnosis, a lot of people assume that means that Justin Bieber owned 100% to everything. Maybe he's administering his own rights to his music, and that's what he's packaged up and given to Hypnosis. But in actuality, the administration rights. And a percentage of the publishing still sit with Universal. Yeah. What you're essentially doing is swapping out Justin Bieber for this new investment company.
1: Yeah, the new investment company, the buyer steps into the shoes of uh, the artist. So, you know, right away from day one, the next royalty check that gets sent out, that's getting sent out to the buyer. That's right. getting sent out to the hypnosis in this instance. And, and
0: when Justin Bieber performs these songs now live, the performance royalties generated for that are now going to
1: the new investment company. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So when he's on tour, you know, like, um I hope for his sake he's able to get back on tour and get um, his health issue under control. But yeah, when he's out touring and he's performing those songs in the future, he will not be earning performance royalties from the performance of those particular songs. If right. he's got a new album to tour, then yes, our with new, new songs on that new album um he'll be earning from that and of course he'll be still taking ticket money and you know merchandise sales and things like that so there is still a reason for him to go on the road but you're correct for those particular songs those have been sold and um the royalty streams uh will be his former royalty stream will go to hypnosis so um so yeah so like that's that's what it is when you like talking about a passive um passive situation like that where the rights are actually still controlled and by a a third third party and if they wanted to you know if like they decided like well i'm just not going to do much like we don't care we don't want we don't we're not pushing uh justin bieber catalog this year for whatever reason because we actually here's a good example Hmm. universal they've acquired their own stuff right and they've got their sync team now. So that's going to be the priority. Yeah, you push all that stuff that we acquired, that we spent, you know, 500 million on last year, and, um, you know, we need to maximize that. You know, I'm not saying that that happens. The reality is, for a lot of these sync teams, they are trying to keep their clients happy. So there's more motivation. Yeah, just to put the right songs into the right film, and, you know, like, for whatever it is. So, um, but all I'm saying is there is a risk if you're not actively doing the job yourself, but that again, that's all factored into the price, you know like these investment um people who work for they they're smart cookies, and right. you know they have these models and they'll build in a discount for that, etc. um but it's it is worth you know noting and understanding and um previously actually, there'd be companies who just wouldn't go into the market at all for passive. But in the feeding frenzy and in this new era that we're in, nothing's off the table. It's like, you know, if you don't take it, that man will.
0: Well, I I also imagine, too, like the passive route might be a hard sell for investors, right? Because these investors who have traditionally not put their money into music catalog before, now you sort of have to explain to them, oh, well, you know, our our ability to make this money back is contingent on what Universal Music Publishing decides to do with the catalog, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, or, it, I think it's, the better way to look at it is like, the, there is certainly a risk there, but you know, like, you, you're you just not in the shoes to um, drive go out and drive it, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it, and drive added value. It's kind of probably just gonna do its own thing Mm. and and continue the trend, you know, of what it's been doing. That's the way I'd think about it. But, but it is here's another thing that just occurred to me there is risk to all of this. So, one way to um, mitigate and manage that risk is what companies were doing back in the early 2000s with all the subprime mortgages mm. right and I, I know that that makes it sound like it's a bad thing <laughs> it's, it's not but it's just like this is what happens right it all gets Make securitized it and then sell it yeah, yeah yeah, it gets bundled up and securitized mm. so they're not just buying you well, know there's more one, leverage there. one yeah. one particular thing there's like, there's now all these like um private equity firms and investment funds who are in the market and they'll um they'll come in, investment funds will come in, they'll buy up a lot of these things and they'll bundle them together. Right. And that is precisely f- to manage that risk and make it more attractive. Um, so if, yeah, something goes wrong, maybe, you know, it'll impair the value somewhat, but you've still got the, the other 90% plus, um, you know, ticking along nicely. So <clears throat> that's that's something that goes on as well. And as I say, it's a, it's just an indication of how this whole space has attracted the attention of Wall Street and some proper finance people right. who are, who are active in this space now, you know, Blackstone. Do you think yeah. there's any um just
0: to play devil's advocate, do you think there's any negative ramifications for the music industry when you have passive players buying music catalog as opposed to actual music companies buying music catalog?
1: Um like like from a perspective of the a pers- from a perspective of the industry from the industry good question um maybe some people will see that as a bad thing and you know see like but like honestly i don't really i don't get that i don't mm. get that i don't go along with that it's like it's your it's it's your music you know you you know mr and mrs artist your music you created with it it's your assets your intellectual property in the same way if you created a company and you worked for years to build that like under the rule of law it's your property and you can buy or sell to whoever you wish and like why would you not try to maximize the value right you know it's like or let's say it's a house Sell your house to the the highest bidder. it's kind of up to you, and like you don't really need to worry about you know too much more than that. I mean it's just all these investment companies it's just they're they're it's still their dollars are still worth the same. you know the only thing I would say is that. Artists, especially these heritage artists, it's not just like a house, it's not just like a property, um, you know, a tangible asset like this. These are their, you know, um, it's their intellectual property, it's like their babies, these songs that they've created and they care deeply about and they want their legacies, they want to ensure that whichever company they sell to, their legacy is going to be respected and that's where I think some... Uh, companies do better than others the music companies who are already in that space understand music rights understand how to treat artists and you know and they have the relationship too. they have the relationships right. but, but but it's a deep it's a deep-rooted knowledge of you know like respect Respect for the music and the artist, and just how things work, and what you can and can't do, and And that's
0: what—that's what what I'm. I think that's what I'm alluding to, and not to maybe not to personalize it too much, but in my mind, I'm thinking of it as okay. Let's say I live in a neighborhood in Brooklyn, New York, right, and I've owned this home; it's been passed down my family for generations. And then, you know, I decide to sell it. Do I sell it to the big developer who's offering me the most money, or do I sell it to the family around the block that i've known for years and maybe they can't afford to match the big offer but it's good to sort of keep it in house in a way because it, it's beneficial yeah. for that community
1: yeah no that's a good analogy and i think that does exist yeah that does exist you know like they're, they're yeah okay this this particular investment fund who are like the new kids on the block in the music space they're offering 50 million more 20 million more whatever it might be this other company can't get to that same price tag but we know that they are try. they're they're a known quantity they've been operating in the music space for x amount of years we maybe we've been working with them previously and we know that they deal with us with respect and courtesy and you know it's a partnership right and i think for a lot of I mean, they say that, it's. A, I mean, it's, it's from the horse's mouth, you know, that's one of the reasons why you get um, the same companies coming back up time and time again, especially the existing music companies, you mm. know, like the Universals, the Sonys, the Warners, the BMGs, the Primary Waves, you know, right. these companies that are like in, active in that space and people say, you know, like we, we know they're going to do a good job of our of our legacy and we're entrusting them with our legacy and i feel that what they don't or what the concern might be for some of the newer kids on the block who are not really don't have a history of being in the music industry is that like they are just going to treat these as cash cow assets and you you can ruin songs like that i mean here's a great example you know it yourself you know when a song like a victim of its own success and mm-hmm. it just like is the radio stations play it to death yeah you got to remember that the music stations the radio stations a lot of people will tell you they're not in the music business right they're in the advertising business 100 percent. and like how often have has that happened where like a brilliant song has come along and you've loved it this milk is and then death. it's been absolutely fried right and now you can't stand it and and actually the band end up, they can't stand it because they go to play and all these people turn up at the shows, they don't know any of their other catalog and they're just waiting for that one song. Don't stop. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm thinking of I've Got uh, Sex on Fire.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, that's (laughs) another
1: one. But 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 then, you know, and there's no reason why the band shouldn't like that, by the way. They eventually do come around to loving it again because they realize, like, this has given us, like,
0: well, to your point, I the think success
1: and the platform for pe- people to actually, the true fans to eventually discover our music, you know, but...
0: No, yeah, but also to your point, they, they kind of become caricatures of themselves, like, when they're... When their catalog is exploited so much, whether it be one or two songs, it's like, okay, well, is there room to discover the rest of their music? But I think, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe that there is room to discover and you can't be so harsh. But yeah, I guess when it comes to the investment firms, I'm thinking if they're securing. these bonds essentially what's preventing them from in the future, combining the music catalog bonds with the coal mining bonds. And then with the, uh, with the (laughs) electrical assets and yeah, nothing, (laughs) nothing, (laughs) nothing,
1: but uh, other than the fact that, you know, eventually it just becomes, um, you know, again, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just buying these rights. The, the, The thing that you keep coming back to is the, yeah. If you own these, rights and you've bought they've acquired them that's great now what are you going to do with them right right it's like do you have the setup do you have like do you have um teams of uh like like people like pitching for sinks in france in germany in australia in the states and like what about how you how you going to go exploit that music in the south american market mm. and the answer is not many of them do actually you need what's called like an operations company mm. that has that set up who actually has the ability to go out and do the exploiting and so so what happens is like these companies who don't have any of that yeah they'll acquire the catalog. they've got the rights and they've got the ownership but now they need to go out and do a deal with an operations company uh like a, like like whoever it might be um you know those same players that I mentioned, mm-hmm. who can actually go out and administer those catalogs and right. do all that sort of collecting, and it's um, you know you you definitely need that. So those companies that have that platform, they're in a, they're sitting pretty right now because there's all this um, all these players who who need their services and they'll charge a fee for those services, and then usually with those types of funds they don't want to stick around forever. They want to own for like, they have an exit strategy ah. and they want to sell on again. Right. So, you know, maybe they get a second bite of the charity and maybe in five years time, the market's not as hot as it was. So now you're getting those bonds or those songs for less of a uh, of a price capital, you know, in terms of that capital investment. It just depends how long everyone holds onto them for. But I think there's going to be a lot more activity again in the future like the high point as i say for this round was 2021 it dipped off a little bit in 2022 i don't think the prices were quite as staggering um and it has slowed down a bit in 2023 like the it's still going yeah but the big headline like blockbuster deals other than you think are over not i think it's just past the peak past yeah. the peak you so know? you
0: i mean you just touched on what my last question was going to be which is where do you see yeah. the, the catalog going in the next couple of years maybe even the next 10 years
1: yeah well a lot of that is dependent on the, the near term on what interest rates do mm. right the higher interest rates go and continue to go the more attractive it becomes to keep your money in the bank. Mm. Right. Or. um put it in the other types of assets that are, you know, affected by interest rates. But ultimately like keeping your money in the bank and just benefiting from a nice little interest rate. Um, mm. At some point that becomes more attractive than making these riskier investments. Um, other people have to borrow money. You know, some people have to borrow that money and like finance via debt, and then that becomes more expensive to service. Um, so where I see it going, I think it will continue. Um there will be acquisitions and still like now that the trend has been set, I just don't think they're gonna be at quite the staggering prices necessarily. So uh, yeah. those artists who were standing by on the sidelines wanting to sell but waiting to see probably missed the boat a little bit and getting you know, squeezing the pips out of it. That was happening in twenty twenty one. Um but yeah, it depends on what happens to interest rates. And then, uh, the other thing, like someone pointed out to me is like a lot of these companies that are, uh, like that, um, uh, are public companies, mm-hmm. they just need to be efficient and make the best possible return for their investors. And at some point with interest rates going up, uh, it also it flips where it just becomes the best way to maximise value for your investors is to, share buybacks basically and that affects like um p ratios and all that. i don't want to get too far into it cause it's pretty complex and um the guy i was talking to was a lot more <laughs> knowledgeable than yeah, me yeah. but um but yeah so that, you know that could slow things down for those companies that just becomes cheaper better use of their cash to buy back their own shares got it and um that sort of affects the the fraction let's say um, and, and, and just boosts the, the sort of ratios that they're they're measured on so yeah like I think it all just depends on where things go it will continue and then my other prediction is that even if it does die down in another kind of like three to five years those c- investment funds who were acquiring will be trying to exit mm. and then there'll be another wave of sales so um and because it's you listen,
0: because you listen to the record shepherds, you will not miss that next wave, <laughs> and you will come up with hundreds of millions of dollars to buy the next big catalog on sale because you listen to this podcast.
1: Absolutely, can you imagine? We'll get uh, hit up for by these angel investors. Maybe oh. we'll have a record shepherds fund. Well, hey, maybe we should start our own um, admin rights uh, company for
0: you know when these uh, investors buy more stuff, and then we can we can administer ourselves.
1: Yeah, we could do that. The and record then, record yeah.
0: shepherds. Um, Manage music
1: management firm. I don't know. Okay. Well, yeah, stay stay tuned in 2027. <laughs> 2020 <laughs>
0: 2072 stay tuned. The Record <laughs> Shepherds will will be blowing up. But in the meantime, please follow us on all social media platforms and listen to us where all podcasts are streamed. We are also available on YouTube where you can watch uh, full clips of The Record Shepherds. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at the Shepherds at gmail.com. And finally, if you're in the the New York area and you'd like to stop by The Record Shepherds podcast, you can email us as well, get in contact with us, DM us. We are open for business.
1: Absolutely. We welcome all comers. And we do have some very interesting conversations with guests uh, coming up in the the, uh, immediate yes horizon so um i would say you know if you haven't already do subscribe do hit the like button all that stuff helps us and you know just share the good word of the shepherds so uh, i think that's been a great episode and we will be back soon with another exciting episode so until then continue to follow the guidance of the shepherds don't be the sheep be be the the goat. goat